Welcome to A Higher Education, a podcast production of the Association for Christians in Student Development. ACSD is committed to assisting student affairs professionals to stay current and relevant in the quickly changing climate of higher education, and in particular, Christian higher education. Join us as we share the perspectives and stories of student development professionals who sit at the intersection of Christian faith and higher education. Hello, ACSD, and welcome back to Higher Education. We are looking forward to this month's episode. Tonight, we get to talk to Jose Brown, who is a residence director at Anderson University. If Anderson University rings a bell to you, that might be because that's where the ACSD conference is happening this year. So Mark and I are looking forward to jumping in with Jose and learning more about the conference. And of course, Jose as a person and a professional. Uh, Mark, anything to add? Uh, I just think this is maybe second only to Christmas in the best time of the year. Well, maybe after orientation, because it's the time of year where we get to start planning ahead for the conference. And I know for Jose and his team, that has been the case since we left left last year's conference at IWU. But I love this time of year as we start looking at workshop proposals and registration and start thinking about what it's like to get all of us back together. So really excited about tonight's conversation. So with no further ado, let's hand it over to our guest for the night to introduce himself. And Jose, if you wouldn't mind just sharing a little bit about your name, uh, your role, and maybe some of your journey, uh, your kind of demographic background journey that brought you to uh, the role that you're currently serving in. Yeah, um, thank you all so much for having me on the podcast. I am so excited for the opportunity just to get to know you all too as well. I know probably the questions are going to be focused on me a little bit as the guest, but be honest, I hope I can hear some, learn some things about you as well. Uh, my name is Jose Brown Jr. As they said, um, I have the privilege of working as a residence director at Anderson University in South Carolina. There's two of us, <laughs> one in Indiana and one South Carolina. I won't say one's better, but I'm, <laughs> I don't know. We're in South Carolina and we get to host the ACSD conference. So some brownie points, maybe. Um, I think for me, I love the fact that I get to work in Christian higher ed. Um, very short synopsis of like my life, I guess. Born and raised in Austin, Texas until the age of 13, moved to California um, around middle school, high school age, and then through moving to California, found out about Azusa Pacific University and got to go there for college, both for undergrad and master's degree. Um, got my undergrad in business marketing, and then the Lord called me into ministry. Um, and for me, that context looks like Christian higher ed. Uh, but because of that, decided to go get my MDiv and yeah, I, I truly feel like this residence director role is one of the greatest opportunities I've had to do ministry uh, with young adults, college age students and get to pour into them. Literally, I live with them. So <laughs> whether I like it or not, we're going to be interacting in, in the community. But it's been really, really great um, going from California on one coast and then moving all the way to South Carolina on another coast. Uh, it's just been a blessing to even have that opportunity. So, yeah, I'm super excited. I uh, love this podcast and yeah, I'm excited to go for it. That's awesome. We're pumped to have you tonight. And very cool that you've gotten to live in so many like unique parts of the country. I noticed the theme too. They're all warm. Is that is that by design? <laughs> you know, let's just say I cannot do cold. <laughs> I, I tried to, I went to Michigan one time just to be like, let's just see. I think I want to go live in Michigan. Got off the plane and said, I might as well get right back on. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Both Kara and I have spent our time. We paid our dues in Michigan and it's a beautiful state. I got to give it some some love. But yeah, yeah. it is it is brutal uh, at times. So 
Yep. Well, a lot of podcasts like to do the speed round questions at the end. We like to, to do them right up front uh, just to get everybody a chance to get to know you a little bit uh, and also just to loosen us up a little bit. Um, so yeah. Kara and I are going to switch back and forth. So Kara, you want to take it away? You bet. The first one's super deep. Are you a Coke <laughs> or a Pepsi person? Definitely a Pepsi person. Uh, yeah, they taste different. Pepsi's better. Sorry. That's great. <laughs> I grew up Pepsi. My wife grew up Coke, and so that's been uh, that's been a contention. Although I've come over to the, <laughs> the Diet Coke side. So, are you an introvert or are you an extrovert? Definitely an introvert. Love people, but also just at the end of the day, I go, eh, I need some time to myself. But uh, definitely get confused for an extrovert just because how much I try to do my best to love people. I love that. All right, what about oceans or mountains? Definitely an oceans person. I I just think you can have more fun at the ocean and at the beach. However, there is such a beauty in the mountains that I really think reminds us of God's nature. But if I get to choose which one I'm going to, I'm not trying to hike up a mountain. <laughs> That's great. When you read a book, physical hard copy or audiobook? Definitely audiobook. Uh, I always say I love books i hate reading which i know some people will judge me for i'm like hey i read this book and that usually means i listen to the audiobook that's <laughs> awesome. definitely an audiobook guy that's great and they count yeah there's no no need mm -hmm. to defend it you're in good company here content is content <laughs> all right you've traveled enough to have a really valuable answer to this next question i think what's your favorite part of the country to visit mm. Uh, this is a little sappy. I would honestly say probably wherever my mom and family is. So right now that means California. Um, and I don't see them leaving anytime soon. But for me, since I'm living on the complete opposite coast, I would say anytime I get to go home and spend time with family, uh, even though there's probably like cooler places I could go, that's the most comforting thing. So yeah, definitely right now, wherever mom is at. <laughs> hey, California is pretty cool as they come. It really is. So as you think about the degrees you've already earned, uh, and I think maybe you've already hinted at this a little bit, so don't, don't be afraid to go into the why on this one, but what's the degree that you have that you maybe are most proud of or identify mm. or associate with the most and why? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say definitely my MDiv, Master of Divinity. Uh, <laughs> proud of it for a few reasons. One, just because it was not something on my radar and very much felt like a god leaning or leading me into it thing so proud that i was just obedient in the first place um, when i did not want to go get a master's degree at first to be completely honest uh, the second thing is the program at azusa pacific university is technically really three years at minimum uh, and most people go on to like five six because most people in seminary at least there were older had families already doing full-time work i did it in two and i did it in two and people thought i was crazy for it and honestly they were right but I was getting a scholarship that was helping pay for it, and it ran out after two years. And I was like, we're going to get as much out of this as we can. And thankfully, yeah, I'm super grateful that the Lord has provided a way for me to go get an MDiv when he told me to go get it. So definitely feel proud of that. But also, it's just incredibly useful for what I think I feel called to, which is ministry with young adults. So, yeah, really love my MDiv. Man, congrats on that, because that is that is an accomplishment. I mean, an MDiv is hard. I, I, I know that because I didn't do one. I looked at it and I said, nope. So yeah, congrats on finishing in two. That's an accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right. What band or artist was at the top of your Spotify wrapped for 2022? This is a little embarrassing. <laughs> this is a little embarrassing. I don't know that we've asked this question and gotten an answer yet from someone that they didn't feel embarrassed about. So you're, well, you're good. Well, I felt completely shocked by it because I definitely went through a phase but I was like, there's no way this phase has literally made it to the top of my like, Spotify rent. <laughs> so I don't know if y'all know about uh, Joshua Bassett, basically the romantic love interest of Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> he dropped an album. And I would say, honestly, that I went through a season. <laughs> I just, God, forgive me. I went through a season. <laughs> I love that there's backstory to it. Yeah. And I'll be honest. Like. I don't know. I know Olivia Rodrigo. I don't know who that is, but there's no shame in it, man. 2022 was hard <laughs> on all of us. So you're, you're good. It's hard. Go check out his music. I bet you turn in. Is he going to end up in your top five? That's great. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know if you've answered this yet, but what was your first role in student development? Mm-hmm. Um, my first role was as a graduate assistant, technically. Um, I count that for multiple reasons, but uh, I worked as a graduate residence director at Azusa. Um, and essentially, we had just gone through a huge transition where a lot of our residence directors, um, both due to the pandemic, but also due to just financial situations, were laid off. And they replaced a lot of those full-time RD positions with part-time graduate assistant positions. Um, so that was my first like pseudo-staff role hmm. that I got to occupy. And then technically, first full, full-time role um, on the books was this residence director role at Anderson University. So our next two questions are how Mark and I like to stir the small social pot of ACSD. Could you tell us who's the best boss you've ever had? Ooh, (laughs) y'all really are trying to start drama. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's speed round. You got to go with your gut. You know the answer. Just say it. I'm like, do I even? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, it's speed round. Here we are. Uh, and I, I feel like I can justify this to everybody. So my best boss is probably my first ever boss before even my like graduate assistant role. So in my senior student leadership role as a student ministry coordinator, uh, her name is Karen Rugley. She's still at Azusa Pacific as the director of um, the Office of Discipleship and uh, Mobilization, I believe it is. They changed the name recently. So if I got that wrong, sorry, Karen. Um, but essentially, she just was a big part of inspiring me to step into student affairs and student development, Christian higher ed. Um, we also did not start off on the best foot due to some different things that went on. Um, and I just saw the way that she like completely was patient with me, turned our relationship around, and truly inspired me in ways that I'm like, I really want to be like Karen. So I, I'm going to give it to her. But don't don't take no offense. It ain't stirring no tea with nobody. <laughs> When you run into anyone at the conference uh, this summer, <laughs> we're not liable for how they react to that answer. Just, just a okay, up. okay. But we might be liable for this one because we're about to ask you the next question. What's the best coworker you've ever had? Uh, I feel like this one's a little bit easier, um, and that's no shade to my coworkers. I've had, a, I've been really, really blessed with amazing teams. Uh, truly, that's been one of my prayers, and the Lord has been faithful. Um, but currently I work with a guy named Luke Springer, who is not just one of my favorite coworkers ever, but truly one of my best friends ever, um, to the point where he's getting married this summer and he asked me to be his best man. Um, but we are complete opposites, uh, literally complete opposites, upbringing opposites, 
um, I'm black, he's white, like, then that's not necessarily opposite. Don't take that out of context, anybody. But, <laughs> um, like, the, the way we were raised was just, like, every single time we compare it, it's on the opposite side of the spectrum. Yet, it was perfectly timed where we came together and, like, just learned so much from each other. So I've appreciated working with him because he just provides such a different perspective. But also, he's just so encouraging, such a great guy. Um, he's taught me just... Yeah, he challenges me in ways that I needed to be challenged specifically in this season. So I just feel grateful to have him as a brother. Such a cool part of this line of work is meeting somebody as a coworker and then ending up standing in their wedding. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. All right. So regardless of where you live currently or where you grew up, what would you call your city? So the place where you have the most mm. identity or pride or association? Mm. Even though I don't know if I have the most identity here, which is kind of breaking the rule of the question, but you're going to find out I'm a rule breaker. Um, <laughs> I would have to say Austin, Texas. So born and raised in Austin, Texas. And if you met people from Texas, you know we got a lot of Texas pride. Um, and I just feel there's so many amazing things about Austin. I would recommend anybody go visit, potentially even go live. It just really like formed me and shaped me into who I am, both through being there and being raised by my family, but also being able to be a part of communities there. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely say Texas, even if technically, I don't know, I was a child and maybe the difference of like adult life versus child life is definitely different. But yeah, I got to give it to Texas. It counts, man. It counts. What is your mm -hmm. favorite annual holiday? I'm going to go Christmas, even though I almost said Thanksgiving. Uh, because we low-key get the same food we get on Thanksgiving for Christmas, <laughs> and then we get presents in family time. There you go. Yeah, it's like the twofer. Like, you get everything uh -huh. you get at Thanksgiving plus a little bit something else. Exactly. Exactly. All right, last one. What feelings do you have about being on a podcast? Yeah, uh, I honestly love it. I think people make fun of me. My friends make fun of me a little bit. I have, like, one of my favorite things to do is literally just get people in a room on a couch, specifically on a couch, <laughs> and like just have really good conversations about things that matter. Um, so I really view podcasts as kind of that minus the couch. <laughs> and if we can combine the two, we are golden. So yeah, I'm excited to be here and feel really grateful that I got asked. Good. Yeah, we're glad that you're joining us. So we, we're we going to dive into our, our episode questions. Worry. For those who have been listening, they're going to maybe get caught off guard because we're not necessarily going to hit all of the same questions that we normally would with some of our guests. We always try to tailor a little bit to them, but we really want to hear about a couple things specific to you. Uh, and so uh, regardless, though, we want to jump in with our first question that we do ask everyone, and that is regardless of whatever drew you to the field of student development, what's one of your first memories of a time in a student development role where you really felt like your deep gladness met the world's deep hunger? Yeah, yeah. I, I love the wording of that. And I love this question. So thank you for asking it. Um, I think I would actually say, before I even got into like, my graduate role, when I was in that senior student leadership role, um, we were putting on a like, missions and outreach training, like retreat. Um, and we had the, as the closing thing a like big worship night where it was of course music worship but also different types of like open atmosphere where you can almost just freely go do whatever you thought the spirit was leading you to do and really the main component of that besides the worship of singing was people getting prayed for about other people in the room um, and specifically as one of the student leaders um, 
I was one of the people that people were consistently coming to. And I just remember there was one guy who came to me and like started sharing these extremely like heavy things that I, in a sense, started to go like, oh man, like, I don't know if I could really hold this, uh, both as a student leader, but also just period. I was like, as who God has made me to be, I don't know if like, I feel like I have the capacity to hold this. And I finished and prayed with him and did all the things and did my best to support him. Um, and then I just remember, and I don't even know if I communicated with her what happened or anything, but that boss that I was talking about, Karen, she like came from all the way across the room and just immediately said to me like, Jose, God has given you strong shoulders. Um, he's given you strong shoulders and you can hold on to the things that people are going to tell you about and you are going to support them in and do different things. And I just remember um, that moment really was transformational for me because I got to see the need that people had of support and caring and, and love. And I then got to see the thing that I could do to help, which was not even necessarily solve the problem, but be willing to like have the capacity to hold that. Uh, with them, um, not necessarily all the way for them, but alongside of them. Um, so I just remember that moment was really, really transformational for me because it showed me like, it's not about me being able to solve the problem or be the end all be all. It's about, am I willing to step in and just be in the gap? So I think that's a moment for me that was really formational. Yeah, I love to just like shout out to Karen for for seeing yeah. that moment and using her words to affirm and like call out something in you. Because I can imagine just the fact that that's your answer. That must have been a pivotal moment for you of seeing, is mm -hmm. there a future for me in this work or not? So, yeah, I yeah. think it's just such a good reminder for all of us that especially for those who are just starting out, they carry such big questions as to whether or not we can do this work. And it's so, so good to just use our voice and our words to say, yeah, you, you've got this. I love that. Yeah, yeah. So it's clear that since that moment of inspiration, um, you've had, you know, a storied career since then, even if it hasn't been super long yet. Can yeah. you tell us about one of the more significant challenges you have faced in your career and what's helped you persevere through that and what have you taken away or learned from it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been thinking about this one for a second. Um, I, I'm i trying to figure out exactly, and I'm always in the process of figuring out how I wanna word it, but essentially, uh, if you didn't hear me already say it, like I am a black male who, who serves in Christian higher education um and with that comes challenges like in one hand there's nothing wrong with me being a black male in primarily white institutions uh but on the other hand there's just so many different things that come alongside that so there's the underrepresentation of people of color there's the microaggressions that happen from students staff and faculty alike um there's this advocacy for students of color and under like underrepresented student groups that i feel a burden to carry yet I don't always feel the support from higher ups or even from coworkers or honestly, even from students. Um, so I would say an ongoing, ongoing challenge that I face is just this desire and really a calling I feel as a part of this work to be an advocate um, for students of color and really just all underrepresented student groups um, or student populations. But the thing that I feel like I am like always seeing as the need for why I'm persevering is the fact that there's still a need for people to advocate for mm. underrepresented groups and students of color and even 
necessarily like us not doing harm against people like that in the LGBTQ plus community, um, any group that feels like they don't have a sense of inclusion or a sense of belonging on Christian campuses. Like I feel a strong desire and calling to advocate for them. Um, and I think I heard recently on a podcast, somebody say like, as long as there's one, there's a need. And because of that, like, <laughs> we're going to be needed for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that I learned and take away from that is like people are more willing to have those conversations and even potentially have their minds changed if they don't um, agree with the need for advocacy or the need for a diversity, equity and inclusion office or uh, why there should be um, maybe some more equitable practices and hiring and different things across student leadership or above. Um, I think what I've learned and what's encouraging is that people are more and more open to have those conversations every day. Um, and while that may be exhausting one day, uh, it's also very fruitful and encouraging the next day. So, yeah, I think that's a huge challenge for me. Yet yeah, it's a part of why I'm in this work. Yeah, and we really appreciate you digging deep for that one um, as someone who uh, can identify with minority and other aspects it's painful to watch students that you like deeply identify with knock at all their needs met so just want to mm. commend you in being inspired by that and not intimidated or burnt out by that on on our good days right yeah there's space yeah, to be exactly. tired there's space to be upset yeah. there's space to be burnt out uh, but I imagine that you bring so much to those students um, even in ways that they can't express yet or haven't expressed yeah. yet so yeah thank you yeah thank you for the encouragement we all need it yeah, and you mentioned, you know, the challenge of so many of our institutions in the CCCU and our ACSD member institutions tend to be predominantly white institutions. Uh, mm-hmm. And so for those of us, which is generally all of us, uh, what does it look like in terms of specifically to that hiring practices, maybe some of the specifics that maybe you'd love to encourage us mm-hmm. to be thinking about when it comes to how we actually embed measures of equity and inclusion in ways that we currently are missing. I'd love to hear if you yeah. have any ways that you're practicing that, that you could, you know, you've discovered uh, in your work at Anderson or otherwise, um, just so that we can continue to learn. Yeah, yeah, such a big question, but also such a needed question. For sure, for sure. <laughs> and such a honestly fresh question. I feel like even over the last couple of days, I've been like asking how to improve in this, but also mm-hmm. being on the end of students asking like, well, why do you feel like this is necessary for this panel we're doing? Or why do you feel like this is necessary as we like just wrapped up our RA hiring? Like what are ways we can be more inclusive in that? Um, I think the start of it like for me is understanding that there is a lack. Um, uh, And for me, I can go, it's super clear. Uh, For example, and this is truly like no shade at my institution, like as far as an RD staff, I'm the only black male or only person of color on our RD staff. And Mm -hmm. in one degree, you could go, that's not necessarily intentional of the university. And I agree. But in another area, you can go like, what does it look like for the university, not only just Anderson, but really all of our institutions to say, hey, we want to like reach out to candidates of color. We want to try to figure out what does it look like to build programs that create a pipeline to students of color that walk through our Christian university or even prior to that in high schools as we do our admissions recruiting or different things like that, um, that lets them see, hey, this is an option for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think a huge piece of that is building the representation, but also recognizing like we need to address the equity piece to start. 
Yeah, and what I like about your answer is I hear a theme of action. Like it takes action to correct this problem, that it can't be mm-hmm. we're going to passively change something and wait for that change to be received well or for uh, individuals to seek us out, but that it actually means, mm-hmm. no, there's some actually proactive move that we have to make to be able to start mm-hmm. closing that gap. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. I think that's, yeah, we could certainly spend the rest of the podcast just talking about that topic, I'm sure, but yeah. uh appreciate your thoughts on that. And I would encourage our listeners to continue leaning into that because those are the tough questions that so many of our institutions need to be asking. Just even asking, you know, that meta question of why are we predominantly white institutions Mm -hmm. and being willing to track back in our histories for each of our schools, there might be some systemic reasons as to why our particular institution, not just Christian higher ed in general, which there's a story to be told there, but why our particular institutions are the way they are now is a result of probably very deliberate actions in the past and yeah. what what our responsibility is to, to that as we try to look to building a different future. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can add, I think it's like even, and I'm always, even with my own RA staff, trying to figure out where do I start this conversation? Mm-hmm. And I think where I'm currently landing, and I always like to use the language of currently because it hopefully can change in advance, um, but where I'm currently landing is just starting by asking the question and put it into context for students specifically, but even staff, staff, staff and faculty of like, why do we have, or well, maybe hopefully, why do we have a diversity, equity, and inclusion office? Mm-hmm. And in the framework of your institution, start to go like, what is the need for this? And then as you identify that, try to bring that out and say, okay, well, what is the need for this not to just stay in the container of the diversity, equity, and inclusion office on our campus site? What does it look like for us to um, focus on intentionally having students of color or just any underrepresented population on our campus that goes, all right, not only are we able to just get admitted into the school, but we're gonna eventually have a sense of belonging at this school. Um, Or what does it look like for us to go as an institution like, we want to create some real goals around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So our board is this degree of diverse. We want to get 25% more diverse in these three areas, like create some like smart goals. I think we do it in so many different areas, but we, for some reason, shy away and feel like we can't have a smart goal for diversity and inclusion um, initiatives. So, yeah, I think it really just is figuring out like, educating people on why the why the question and why this actually matters in the first place and from there there should hopefully be an outpouring of diversity equity and inclusion oh that's good i'm interested to dig a little bit more into that if if you're okay with it yeah Um, just because i imagine you know we only have a few episodes out at this point but so far demographics are leaning pretty young so i'm imagining a lot of our listeners our residence directors like yourself mm, area coordinators yeah. kind of in that that role that has a lot of contact time with students and so mm-hmm. something that i've struggled with um, in my last four years in residence life is how do i how do i create learning outcomes that are similar kind of across the board for my ra teams when they come in as a group of, you know, three to 14 people, mm-hmm. <laughs> teams can vary yeah. in size by so much, but with such unique and different perspectives from each other, have you mm-hmm. found any hacks or tips that RDs or ACs listening could use to, to help guide their teams coming from these multiple perspectives? And if I could, I think what's key in that is that it also gets at a very unique aspect that many of our listeners are probably faced with, which is 
they don't have a lot of institutional authority, right? Mm -hmm. And so for a lot of our younger professionals, they have the responsibility, but not necessarily the authority for the widespread mm -hmm. systemic change at the macro level. And I think that informs that as well. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is so good. Um, yeah, I think I've tried and done some trial and errors. <laughs> Truly some things that have been like, oh, that was that was not hitting like we thought <laughs> it was going to hit. Um, but one of the things that I've done that you need to preface it a ton and like really help your staff recognize like I want this to be a safe space, but I also need it to be a bold space mm. is um, there's a YouTube channel called Jubilee, um, where essentially they do something on their channel. They have like a series called the spectrum where they lay out lines on the floor and they have the middle line go say like, basically it's a starting line that says I'm in the middle. I'm not sure. And then on each side of it for say the left side, they have somewhat disagree disagree and then strongly disagree and then on the opposite side they have somewhat agree agree strongly agree um and this again with a lot of prefacing and a lot of like starting conversations about it before you do this like activity um like educating them on some terms and uh trying to let them know like every perspective matters even mm -hmm. if you go like hey i don't think diversity really matters to me like I would still want you to bring your full self to that conversation and know that, yeah, it may be a little tough for somebody else in the room, including me as your RD to hear that, <laughs> but I'd rather like you bring your full self to this. And again, they're never gonna feel completely comfortable, but then laying out questions just like they do in the um, episodes, essentially they go, here's a prompt and we want you to go walk to the line that you feel like most resonates with you. Um, and then they give people opportunities to explain why they went to that line of, oh, I agree with this statement or I strongly disagree with this statement. And the thing that I find most beautiful about it and what's worked in the past is I emphasize over and over again, you can go to one line and then somebody can say something and you can move to a different line. Mm -hmm. And for me, that really has shown like, and I've done it once and it went actually way better than I thought it was going to go. And I've done it another time and it was just like, what are we doing here? Everybody's <laughs> done with me. But it's regardless of what happens in that time, it gets them having conversations after too, uh, both with their own staff and with you and one-on-ones, but also sometimes with like family back home. and sometimes, So it really has shown to be fruitful for long-term effects, even if it does create some short-term tension. Uh, which to be honest, the learning and the growing happens mainly in the tension. So yeah. I think anything you do, you got to be ready for that. That's a t-shirt right there. The learning and growing <laughs> happens in the tension. I love that. <laughs> so uh, both Kara and I have spent time as resident directors. Kara is currently uh, an area coordinator. So our hearts are in the residence life contact uh, or context. Uh, we love that aspect. So we'd love to hear you share just a little bit about why that context just matters so much to you and, and what you enjoy about serving in that world, in that role. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I love Res Life. Uh, and I think I love Res Life more than I originally thought I was going to love Res Life. Um, so when I felt first felt my call to work in Christian higher ed, um, specifically through the lens of doing ministry in Christian higher ed, for me, it was seemed pretty clear that like the end goal, or at least like 
the immediate goal in my mind was, oh, I want to work in campus ministries. I want to be a campus pastor. I want to do X, Y, and Z. Um, specifically, honestly, I would love to provide pastoral care to students mm. um, as like one of the main components of what I would do in campus ministries. But I also knew like, I'm probably not going to be able to graduate and go straight into a campus pastor role. Like as a graduating 24-year-old from my grad degree, I was like, I don't see that really happening for me. Um, so I kind of was like, well, what do I do in the in-between time? Because I definitely want to stay in Christian higher ed where my heart is. Um, but I also want to gain experience that will equip me further for if I ever do step into that role. Um, and for me, the perfect balance was res life. I was like, I literally get to live with the students and hear what they go through when they're on and when they're in their student leadership position. And they're like, all right, I gotta give my best self to my supervisor. And then when they completely turn off and they're like, all right, look, this is the real me. Uh, I feel like that was exactly what I wanted in that in-between time because it felt like it was gonna equip me for what I think I wanna do in the future. Um, however, I've just learned and built a love for a residence life that really has made me almost start to wonder like, do I really even need to transition into campus ministries to feel like I'm doing what God originally, mm. I felt called me to do. Um, I had a conversation with my campus pastor here at um, Anderson University and he said something that I thought was really profound. He was like, Jose, I'm a campus minister or one of the campus ministers of this campus, but if I and my team are the only ones doing campus ministry, I'm disappointed in all the rest of the staff and the faculty. Um, and for me, I just took that and was like, that is such a true statement of it really doesn't matter what my role is or what my title is. I'm going to be doing campus ministry. Um, and honestly, I found in some ways, and I don't know if this is actually true because I haven't been on the other side yet, but it feels like sometimes residence life does more campus ministry than campus <laughs> ministries. Um, <laughs> the emergency response, the uh, meeting somebody literally at one of their lowest moments, but also like being a part of somebody getting a dream internship and they're graduating and they really turn back around on that graduation day and go like, hey, like you really made an impact on my life. That for me has really done something that like, it, it really just double, triple down the affirmation that student development, Christian higher ed is exactly where I'm supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, which I was gonna be obedient to God regardless, but just to see the fruit of that is, mm -hmm just so encouraging and inspiring, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I think that's what's made me build my love for residence life. Also just the idea that I literally get to do community in real time with these students. Um, I don't think anybody else gets as close to the grasp as we do as RDs and area coordinators. And yeah, it's just so much fun. Yeah, such a special job to start out in. And I think we'll serve you well as a campus pastor eventually. Thank you. So taking that, but making it more specific to like a single story that you can think of, what's a moment from your career where you got to see the Lord work in a really special way that you'll never forget? I actually think, and this is kind of ironic, it's actually probably my first or second duty call. I can't remember if it was my very first duty call or my second duty call. Uh, and it was actually before like right before the school year had even started where a few people get some early admission to move in before move-in day. And it was a really bad situation for a student where they ended up actually <laughs> getting suspended and uh, kicked out for a semester. But I remember sitting with them in this moment where I had to respond to this call and campus safety was doing what they were doing. I'll try to be as vague as possible. Um, and I just was sitting outside with them and we just started talking about like, 
random things that had nothing to do with the situation and eventually got to the point where I got to go like, hey, like, where are you at with the, with the Lord? Like, this is a Christian university. Um, one of my favorite things is that I get to openly ask that question. Like, if it's okay, I know this is a very stressful time and things are going on, but like, are you willing to have this conversation with me? And he was, and I think it was just so cool because I got to see even in like the moments where people are at their lowest, you can still provide a sense of light and a sense of um, really just the gospel to them and let, let them know like, hey, I've made so many mistakes too. Um, I've literally, to a certain degree for some students, like, and people at Azusa Pacific will know, like I had a conduct record. I know where you're coming <laughs> from. Um, so like, it does not mean your future is tainted. It does not mean even if the worst case scenario where you are literally needing to leave the school either temporarily or permanently, like you still have a future. What does it look like for you to walk into that with your head held high? Also learning from your mistakes. Um, so literally in my first or second duty call, I got to experience what it looks like to have like restorative justice for students who go through conduct processes and make big mistakes, but also got to share my story of how he literally did the same exact thing for me. That's great. I I'm firmly believe that the best student affairs professionals have a file at their old institutions yeah, yeah, on themselves. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, I was going to say that, so I'm glad you did. <laughs> yeah. I think that'd be a great episode is just hearing <laughs> stories. I think if we tell on ourselves, FERPA is not a problem, right? <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. All right. Well, we want to pivot gears a little bit because one of the aspects that we're really excited about to hear about from you is the upcoming conference. So just in a generic mm. sense, can you tell us what you and your team have been working on and what does it take to prepare for hosting the annual associations uh, conference in the summer? Yeah, so we are so excited to host everybody this year at Anderson University for the conference. Uh, you said this earlier, I think, in the podcast where we've been working since literally before last year's conference on this upcoming summer's conference. And when I say we have, I mean, we have. Like the meetings have been really, really fruitful. Uh, people are really starting to get excited about the speakers we've been able to land, um, the way that our committees for everything that we have going on during the conference. Um, we just feel really blessed at the opportunity to invite people into our campus, but also we recognize that South Carolina is a really beautiful place to come visit in the first place. Uh, we are in a really quaint, cute town. <laughs> so I think if some people are just like, oh, I love seeing like these really random, like cute towns, you are gonna love Anderson. <laughs> but also if you are like, that's not my thing, I prefer the big cities. Like we're really actually in a prime location where you can drive some point during the conference to go see Atlanta or Charlotte or Greenville, South Carolina, which is truly one of the best gyms I've got to have moving to South Carolina here at Anderson. Um, but we've just put in so much good work and I'm excited to see what actually happens with that work but it doesn't happen if y'all don't come. So really excited to have you all here. Um, yeah, it's gonna be really fun. You set up the next question perfectly, which is why should people come to Anderson this summer? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I'll answer this this way. I did not know what Anderson University of South Carolina was before I found the RD posting. <laughs> and honestly, I passed by it for <laughs> once or twice before I applied. Because I was like, South Carolina? I think not. <laughs> um, but I have found that this is truly one of the most like beautiful and friendly places I've ever been. Um, both in just literally landscape, geography, but also the people. 
um, we say that we have a core value and like a pillar of great hospitality. Mm -hmm. And I think that comes from the presidents and the leadership of our organization wanting to put that into our community. But also I think it comes from the wider community of Anderson itself. Uh, literally from the moment I got here when I was moving here to start my job as a residence director, it is literally tangible to feel that great hospitality is a core value um, of this area. So I would honestly say like, if you just want to experience Southern hospitality, if you want to have some good food that you don't normally get wherever you are in the nation, um, and if you want to experience just a different unique college, like this is a great conference to come to. When you say food, give me give me like a hint of what what's in store for me, because that's that yep. moves the needle for me. And I, I know <laughs> really I'm not alone. Does. So, Mark, I would say you should go find some time to sneak away, even though we have really good food on campus as well. But find some time to sneak away to a restaurant uh, in Anderson called Earl Street. They have this chicken fried chicken dish that is absolutely incredible on like this bed of mashed potatoes. Uh, Bro, with some... you're not supposed to say this on the podcast because now everyone will sneak away with me. You're supposed to just text this to me when we're done with the podcast. Look, I have some friends at Earl Street that I got to get the connections to. <laughs> No, that's no, great. No. But it's so, so good. Truly, there's so many different places that you can come get. Specifically, I recommend some like Southern food that is really going to probably low key knock you out for the rest of the night, but it's going to be so worth it in the end. <laughs> oh, that sounds incredible. I can't wait. So tell us a little bit about the theme of the conference, Great Purpose, and how you mm -hmm. guys are integrating that into everything you're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, just like Great Hospitality, another pillar that, that we have at Anderson University is Great Purpose, which ultimately led to the theme of the conference being Great Purpose. And I think the, the reason for that is that we want to remind people, one, the work you do really does hold this incredible purpose. But also, I think it really matters that everything we do, both on our campus culture, is a constant reminder of that. And we want to implement that into the conference. So when you show up here, you recognize, like, Hey, if I'm burnt out, there's people here that's going to encourage me. There's people here that are going to give me sessions that are centered around this idea of purpose that remind me why am I in student development in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and I really think that was the core mission behind it is to have people come in whatever state they are, whether they're like at a 10 and like, honestly, I'm here to motivate and have great hospitality with y'all. Or if you're at a one and you're like, honestly, this may be my last year in student development where you, no matter what your decision is, feel like the work that I've put in and the work that I will do is for a reason. And that reason really does center around the gospel in Jesus Christ and recognizing that everything we do is not even just for, all right, we're building like people and students to walk out and get careers, but we are building people holistically that they can go be disciples of Christ. So mm -hmm. yeah, I would say that's the huge piece of what we're looking forward to seeing at this conference and hopefully what we can execute and implement this year. Yeah, I'm excited to be there. Mark needed the the food to twist his arm yeah. to <laughs> join, but I'll for sure be down there. Uh, very little twisting in my arm. It was just the cherry on top. Yeah. <laughs> there it is. There it is. It does be a cherry, let me tell you. <laughs> so, Jose, um, from a more personal level, how has being involved in preparation preparation for the ACSD 2023 conference inspired you to stay in the work of Christian higher ed, unless it's been so much that it's inspiring you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's definitely inspired me to stay. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think 
I'm actually serving on a few different committees, of course, the housing and res life side of things and making sure people feel like when they get here, they actually are comfortable and know where things are and feel like they've got everything they need. But also a big committee that I'm on is the Career Connections Committee. And I'm super excited to see like the fruit of that labor, but also like have the opportunity for people to network and get to see other people who are doing the same work. And really last year's conference was my first conference that I got to go to for ACSD. And that is exactly what it did for me. It was the networking piece for people who see and understand what I go through. And I get to be like, wait, nobody in my family understands like my job as a residence director, but you do. <laughs> and that is so comforting. Um, so I think realistically for me, it, it inspires me because I know that we're producing basically that where people are going to come and have an opportunity to be united with people who really understand them and get them. Um, but it also is just really encouraging in the fact that, yeah, I get to be a part of the conference that for me is something that I want to be a part of for literally years to come. Um, the very, like literally within the first two or three days of last year's conference, I was like, oh, I'm coming to this every year if I can. <laughs> so hopefully you all come and feel that same experience. That's great. I've been... I've been in the work of higher ed for over 10 years, and I think I've been to about seven conferences, and I can nice. throw my weight behind that too, that it is bar none one of the best ways to feel refreshed at the end of a long year, uh, to feel like yeah. you have something to contribute by participating in discussions or more formally in like workshops, um, whether it's just the conversations that you build uh, as you're sitting at a table with a group that you've never met from another institution you've only ever heard mm -hmm. of, maybe. I think the conference is one of the best things that the association has to offer, especially for young professionals, because it can be very alienating and lonely to show up every single day to your job and feel like, does anyone else out there understand the crazy, wild, exciting, awesome, terrifying, exhausting, did I mention tiring, like the way yeah. that this job just weighs on us, right? And to yeah. be able to meet with a bunch of other people and be like, oh, there are literally hundreds of us. Uh, that's such a cool feeling. Yeah. Exactly. So as we wind down our time, uh, would love to just hear from you. What sort of resource uh, would you recommend that every student development professional be engaging with? Yeah, I wrestled with this question for a minute because I was like, this is the most Christian answer and I really am not that spiritual. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> I swear. I know I got a new day, but I promise I'm not that guy. Um, I feel like my answer, and I will pick a separate answer too. Uh, I really feel like it's the Bible. Um, that is my answer because I really just recognize that we are never going to be able to do this work without centering Christ in our lives and going to the word daily uh, being around community that is helping you interpret, helping you understand, helping you figure out what does it look like to not only have right belief, but have right practice of what this says. Um, it's transformational. It really has in the moments where I have really have wanted to quit. Like you said, this work is tiring and it's hard and it can feel lonely. When I go to my Bible, when I go to my time with the Lord, it makes me feel refreshed and it really is a well in a dry place. Um, so I recommend that for sure, just because I think there's no greater wisdom than what the Lord has orchestrated us to have to get to know him better. So yeah, I, I swear I could give a separate answer. <laughs> no, that's good, man. That's good. I think it's such a good reminder for all of us. All right. And then one of our last ones, 
is what word of encouragement do you have for listeners who do this work of student development each day? Yeah. Um, simple, I guess, but I'm a simple guy. Uh, truly, I would just say, like, thank you for the work that you're doing. Mm. Um, and you are not alone in it. Like we were saying, um, even in my four years of being in higher ed, um, I recognize, like, there are many times where it could be a thankless job where students come through and they realize like, hey, I'm here to get a degree at the end of the day and I'm gonna go and do great things. And there's a ton that forget to turn around and say thank you to the people who have poured into them for the last four years. Um, so I guess we need to encourage each other and I wanna take this time to encourage all of us to say thank you for the work you're doing. Uh, it really does have meaning and purpose. Um, and it's important that you recognize that God has placed you specifically for this work. Uh, even if it's not a forever career, the time that you spent in this really does matter. And you're pouring into people's lives in ways that is going to transform who they are. So thank you. So good. Yeah. The end of the year comes with so many emotions. And when you watch your students walk away, you're grateful, but oftentimes you don't know if they are. And so I think yeah. uh, your words are just so, so meaningful um, because they are, uh, whether they know it then or whether they'll figure it out 10 years from down the road, um, the work we do matters. Yeah. Jose, is there anything that you want to pitch or share, anything you've been working on, anything you want to promote, even if it's just another reminder about the uh, upcoming conference, how would you like to kind of finish our time with our listeners today? Yeah, um, yeah, definitely going to double, triple down on the conference. Highly recommend that you come through. If you are on the fence, do it. Please just do <laughs> it for yourself. Do it for us. Do it for your future students that you're going to come and learn some different things and be able to take back resources and knowledge. So definitely going to plug this year's conference at Anderson University. Um, and truly, I don't have much else to plug. I am excited for the opportunity to get to network with you all. So if you're interested in networking with me, uh, <laughs> as funny as it sounds, and I never thought I'd be that guy on a podcast or whatever, but my Instagram social, <laughs> yep. yeah, find me as Jose Suave245. I made it when I was in high school. Don't judge me. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, a more professional one is just LinkedIn, where you can come find me at Jose Brown Jr. Um, seriously, I love when somebody reaches out, and I love to reach out to people that maybe I've never met, but I see are doing great work. So if you're just like, hey, just want to say, hey, I'm here for that. So, yeah. That's well, Jose, we want to, yeah, thank you for that encouragement, that um, list of ways that we can reach out to you and for your willingness to dive into the conversation of DEI and to teach us more about what to expect this summer at the conference. And with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. Mark, any last words for our listeners? Just once again, thanks for joining us. Uh, we know that you could spend uh, coming up on an hour, I think, uh, of your time doing pretty much anything else. But we are grateful that you chose to listen to us and, and to just get to hear who Jose is and his heart for, for ministry. And we hope that you're encouraged by his story and by what he's doing. Uh, and it's the good work that we're all doing together. So thanks so much for joining us. And we'll see you all at ACSD in June. Can't wait. This podcast has been a production of the Association for Christians in Student Development. To learn more about ACSD, please visit acsd.org. To contact us, please email scholarship at acsd.org. Thank you.